Guillermo Mash welcoming you to an Imagining Community Spotlight on the project management actions of the Vina Groundwater Sustainability Plan. This segment features Jim Brobeck, Water Policy Analyst and Vina GSA Stakeholder Advisory Committee member, as he summarizes all 15 of the proposed Tuscan Aquifer Vina Subbasin PMAs. The Vina Groundwater Sustainability Plan includes a list of project management actions. The acronym, of course, PMAs. When you get involved in the water world, you have to really learn how to speak and understand in acronyms. PMAs, project management actions. The agency managers categorize the projects in two groups. Planned projects are expected to move forward and be completed. These are the projects that the managers obviously prioritize. Potential projects are currently in the planning stages and may move forward if funding becomes available. The way I categorize projects is different. Are they recharge projects that seek finding so-called new water to meet the demand? Are they conservation projects that rein in water demand? Are they watershed projects that manage the upland to protect natural recharge? Are they education projects that help citizens recognize their role in respecting, protecting, and using water? Well, let's start with the so-called planned projects. The first one on their list is the Agriculture Irrigation Efficiency Project. They are currently doing a survey to find out where opportunity exists to increase uh, efficiency in irrigation practices. Uh, using state-of-the-art groundwater uh, monitoring to find out when the soil needs to be irrigated and then state-of-the-art ways to apply the water. They estimate that they'd be able to reduce groundwater demand in the Vina subbasin by between 2,000 and 4,000 acre-feet per year. Well, what's an acre-foot? An acre-foot of water is what it would take to flood an area about the size of a football field with one foot of water. That's an acre foot of water. So you could save about two to 4,000 feet uh, by increasing agricultural efficiency. The second plan project is residential conservation. Residential conservation would include encouraging people to replace lawns with uh, drought-tolerant plants, preferably native plants, or replacing water-using appliances such as washing machines with front-loader washers, which are much more efficient, with low-flow toilets, with low-flow nozzles on showers, etc. Back in uh, 2015, the ratepayers in Chico reduced their demand on groundwater from about 31,000 acre-feet a year to about 19,000 acre-feet per year. What a marvelous savings, uh, approximately 12,000 acre-feet a year just by residential conservation. Now the water managers are estimating that you can only save another 100 acre-feet of water. Uh, I strongly disagree with that analysis. Uh, there's still a lot of unnecessary lawns around Chico. I'm sure there's a lot of, of, um, of old-style 
faucets, old style washing machines, old style water users appliances in the house. I think that the citizens of Chico have shown that they'll step up when asked to do so and that they could, uh, if they continue down this path, I think we can save thousands of acre feet of water. Quick question, Jimmy. Yeah. When I see 100 acre feet, it doesn't really feel like they're gonna put much oomph behind those plans. It's just more of a placeholder. If they're required to do so like they were in 2015 when the governor demanded that, that water purveyors figure a way to get their water client, their water customers, to reduce significantly, I think it was 20%, they did it. Of course, in Chico, we reduced it 33%. And I think we can do that once again. The third planned project is called Streamflow Augmentation. This project would transport so-called excess treated water from the Paradise Irrigation District, PG&E, and other water rights holders in the upper watershed to various parts of the sub-basin through creeks and streams. This would increase stream flows, which would have a, a very excellent effect on the ecology, especially for the migratory fish that need more water in the streams as they migrate and as they, as they wait during the summer to spawn in the fall. But this would have to be very carefully implemented because any time that you are augmenting stream flow, uh, there's people that can claim that they're that they are recharging the groundwater and they may lay some claim to the water in storage underground saying that that water is no longer groundwater, that it is surface water legally and they can do with it what they want. But I think we can work their way around it if we carefully define what stream flow augmentation is designed to do. The fourth planned project is called Flood managed aquifer recharge or flood mar mar in this case uh, surface water would be diverted to various uh, various locations and hopefully to uh, recharge the water by having the water infiltrate this is is really a experimental recharge project it has some some very dangerous legal ramifications that may lead to aquifer privatization depending on who is supplying the water, who is using the water to recharge, and who is claiming the credits for the experiment of recharging the water. They say that some of the participating entities are to be determined, which leads me to think that possibly the nascent Tuscan Water District may be involved as well as uh, some of the senior water rights holders that would also like to get the groundwater folded into their portfolio of water assets. Uh, I'm disturbed that they're planning to implement these and the potential projects, they're acting as if these projects are, uh, are, are, are less likely to occur, even though some of them are already occurring and they're just uh, seeking a way to fold it into the plan and to gain uh, extra funding to continue implementation of some of these projects or to shift the implementation of some of these projects uh, in a way uh, that would enhance groundwater demand reduction. 
In the potential projects, the top of their list is the highly controversial Paradise Irrigation District Intertie. This is supposed to help the Paradise Irrigation District remain a viable uh, commercial entity. They have a, a water treatment plant that they take the surface water from the Megalia Reservoir and the Paradise Reservoir uh, and uh, run it through a treatment plant so that it meets water quality standards for domestic supply. Well, since the campfire uh, destroyed much of the ratepayers in Paradise, they have a stranded asset. So one of the strategies they're considering is putting a pipeline all the way into Chico and starting to supply cow water customers in Chico with Paradise surface water, treated water, through a pipeline that will cost millions of dollars that would supply surface water in lieu of the relatively pure Tuscan water that uh, the ratepayers are currently using. And uh, this, this project, as is listed, isn't really a, an infrastructure project. What it is is a continuation of a study to find out what the different, uh, the different options that the PID, Paradise Irrigation District, has in order to remain a viable entity. So it's, it's far in the future if it would ever happen at all. It would take years to develop. It's taken them years to study it. Uh, I know that they've been studying intertying Paradise with Chico water since long before the, the uh, campfire. I, I don't think this is a viable project at all. Uh, the, the next project is the agriculture surface water supply. Uh, this would require extending water supply infrastructure throughout areas that are currently served by groundwater, throughout uh, to supply agricultural entities that are currently relying on groundwater with so-called excess water that senior water right holders have. This is another one of those that said that uh, some of the proponents are to be determined later. And so that raises a red flag with me because I, I think that some of the players that are queuing up to get involved with the California water market through privatization of the aquifer and conversion of the aquifer into a wildly fluctuating underground reservoir uh, is, is involved. And the privatization of it would take it out of the hands of the public and put it in the hands of private entities who see water as a marketable commodity rather than as a life force as an environmental uh, necessity for not just human beings, but uh, all of our relatives in the plant and animal world. So increasing agricultural surface water supplies is, is one that is uh, fraught with legal consequences. One of my favorite so-called potential projects is extended orchard replacement. According to one farmer that I consult with, approximately 2% of the fruit and nut orchards, especially the nut orchards per year, uh, have to be replaced because they get old and they're not as productive as they used to be. Maybe they have diseases or maybe the, the trees are, are, are losing uh, their vitality. So about 2% of the orchards are cut down to be replaced. The, the standard practice is to cut them down uh, to fumigate the soils to deal with the root nematodes and to replant them right away in order to get production back online. 
to maintain the, uh, the income flow for the farmers. Well, according to this farmer, if they would delay the replanting of these orchards for just one year, it would save between 4,000 and 8,000 acre feet a year. It would also eliminate the need to fumigate the soils, which is a very expensive and, uh, and it has to use some hazardous chemicals for the fumigation. The, this farmer that I talked to indicated that the, the county could pitch in by offering an incentive of delaying the increase in tax that would be associated with the new orchard that would get put in because the new orchard would place a higher value on the land. The trees would be planted in a different configuration and of course they would be using state-of-the-art irrigation practices. And with the increase of land, there would be increase in land value, there'd be an increase in the taxes. And if the county would just forego the tax increase for a year or two, that would be another great incentives that would help uh, incentive that would help pay for uh, this extended orchard development. And they're already doing orchard redevelopment. The only difference would be they would delay replanting for a year, put some kind of cover crop on, which would greatly reduce the amount of water they would need to irrigate it. So again, this is, this is one of my uh, favorite water demand uh, reduction projects one that I think should be implemented immediately since it's already happening to some extent. The next project is recharge from the Miocene Canal. The Miocene Canal takes water out of the Feather River, or it did before the flumes that carried the water burned during one of the recent fires that we've had in the watershed. Uh, this is owned by PG&E, I believe, and they have not rebuilt it. If they rebuilt this, it would then reroute some of that Feather River water into Butte County, into the Vina Subbasin. Uh, the farmers and the orchardists that, that previously could take some water out of that have been suffering greatly with the lack of the water coming down. The wells have been declining because, uh, because uh, they're having to pump groundwater and there's no recharge from the unlined canal. If they reinstated and rebuilt the Miocene Canal. There would be incidental recharge into the aquifer through the unlined canal and through the application of water off of the canal. The expected groundwater demand reduction, they were saying 2,000 acre feet based on 10,000 acre feet available for recharge, AKA a 20% efficiency. So in other words, we're gonna lay out 10,000 feet of water and only 2,000 feet are gonna make it into the subbasin. The recharge into the aquifer uh, would be incidental to leakage out of the canal primarily. Perhaps some from application of the water. Uh, I assume that the people that are using the water for irrigation use it efficient, efficiently. Also apparently uh, a lot people are not pumping groundwater so a reduction in demand on the groundwater would probably be insignificant if, if the people have not uh, created the groundwater infrastructure. So that 20% has to do with leakage out of the unlined canals that enter the, the valley. And obviously 100% um, of that water wouldn't be leaking in, but it looks like uh, they're estimating 20% would be. Well, they're calling this a direct recharge project type. So when I hear direct recharge, 
that to me means they expect some amount of water to make it back into the subbasin. Am, am I looking at that incorrectly? No, you're not at all. That's, okay. a, as I say, incidental leakage. It would be directly going back in. Now, once you start getting these uh, direct recharge, you have to be very careful about how you design the project uh, in order to avoid the legal consequences of aquifer privatization, especially if a group like the Tuscan Water District that obviously wants to engage in the water market is involved in this project. Uh, as far as I know, the landowners who used to use the Miocene Canal are not interested in, uh, in developing uh, in developing privatization rights of the aquifer. No, they want their water back that they'd relied on. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, our attorney, the Vina Subbasin attorney, has said that when projects have recharge involved with the project, they have to be very careful about how they how they define the project in order to avoid the legal consequences. Uh, the next potential is the community monitoring program. And uh, this would be uh, done in conjunction with the California U University of Chico. And this is something that is actually uh, already happening. They are monitoring some of the stream flow. I know I've talked to some of the students that are out there monitoring stream flow uh, in both Big Chico Creek uh, and some of the other creeks that flow through the Vinus Subbasin in order to recognize some of the hydrologic, uh, hydrologic activities, the dynamics of that. Uh, so I don't quite know why they're saying this is in the planning stage. Uh, it, certainly the planning stage would be ramping up their efforts to do it, to do a more comprehensive monitoring of the stream flow. But the university is, is already involved in monitoring some of the stream flow. The next project is recycled wastewater. Now the Chico wastewater plant uh, located west of Chico currently takes the treated wastewater, which is treated to a very high level of quality, is put into the Sacramento River. Uh, according to this project, they would take a portion of that water and pipe it back into Chico. And it's my understanding that it would be uh, like a purple pipe project that some cities have done in other parts of the state where they use treated wastewater to irrigate uh, recreational fields and other other uh, non-food crops and non-domestic and uh, we've got uh, numerous recreation fields in Chico that could safely be irrigated with this and this would reduce greatly reduce demand on the aquifer and uh, so this is one that uh, one that with an investment could save, uh, I think they said up to 5,000 acre feet a year of, of water demand, reduce that amount of water demand on the aquifer. Just to slip this in real quick, numbers off the top of my head from attending that uh, buying a subbasin meeting. It seems the ballpark number they're toss, tossing around that we need to start reducing in these planned projects starting next year is 16,000 acre feet. So uh, I'll correct you on that. It's, correct it's, me, exactly. It has, varied, uh, it has varied between 10,000 acre feet uh, and as high as 30,000 acre feet, but I think the final figure that they're shooting for is 10,000 acre feet per year 
of either reduced demand or increased supply. And according to the figures that are listed in this matrix, this 10,000 acre feet could be easily accomplished with conservation measures alone. Uh, the, the figure that I've seen when I add up the conservation is up to 18,000 acre feet per year. Just through conservation alone and with, with careful designing of the projects, there would not be a threat to privatization of the aquifer or having uh, the aquifer underneath Chico be involved in the state, the emerging state water market, which I think is a huge risk to the groundwater dependent ecosystems that really provide the quality of life that we enjoy here in Chico with our urban forest, with our stream flow, etc. My gut feel after sitting through all these meetings and reading some of this stuff, Jim Burbeck, is 10,000 acre feet's a low ball. So let's say we got these projects in place and we've been doing them for a couple of years and we've been saving 10,000 acre feet, but the water still, the water levels in the subbasin are still going down. What do you see as far as this, uh, this process for Sigma to you know, readjust our plans? The Sigma plan uh, touts it, its focus on local control. And so they have split what is really one large basin into several basins. So we share this basin with extreme agricultural pumping that's happening on the west side of the Sacramento River. The Glen Clusa Irrigation District is one of our closest neighbors. They're located just on the other side of the Sacramento River. And they're tapping the same deep aquifer that supports the aquifer in Chico. And uh, as, as wells, uh, wells create a temporary cone of depression where the well is pumping, the cone of depression is defined by the level of the aquifer in general. And uh, as the aquifer in general goes down, then the cone of depression is, is not the most significant factor. And as demands on the other side of the river continue to ramp up, this year they've ramped it up by at least 25 to 35,000 acre feet of extra demand on the deep aquifer which is more than the city of Chico uses in a year. This is how much the Glen Clusa Irrigation District will be pumping in three months this summer. That the, the level of the entire aquifer goes down and the cone of depressions are located above that. So whatever we do here on this side of the river uh, can be neutralized by extra demand on the other side of the river. So when we see the, the water levels slowly declining in the Vina subbasin, it's not exclusively or even, even possibly at all related to the amount of demand on this side of the river. Uh, the amount of water that's being used on the other side of the river is pulling the entire system down year by year. So until we manage demand on the other side of the river, especially in the deep aquifer that's recharged from this side of the river. We're going to conti continue to see declines no matter how much efforts we put into conservation or supply augmentation on this side of the river. But knowing that this is a state, this is a state bill, Sigma, 
I would assume that where they're pumping right now is is under Sigma's control, and they should, they're working on plans to quote unquote get their groundwater in compliance. I'm assuming that's true. If it's false, let me know. And, and what do you feel is going on on that other side of the river? Are you as confident as you are of this Vina plan, or as, as close to the Vina plan as to what this other district Sigma's plan is? I'm very concerned about okay. the intention of Sigma. Uh, the intention of the state to uh, to accelerate water management through a water market, the intention of the state to streamline water transfer and water recharge projects, in other words, uh, turning aquifers into reservoirs, where they will temporarily, in quotes, dewater them in hopes that the next year they can fill it back up when the rain comes back, in order to meet demand south of the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. I'm, I'm very concerned that Sigma is going to be used as a tool to do this, as well as some of the other water management efforts that have gone on this year during this extremely dry year. For instance, uh, the Glen Clusey Irrigation District, as well as numerous other water districts on the other side of the river. This year, they have implemented a supplemental groundwater supply project where they're pumping water and foregoing their surface water because frankly the water is no longer there coming out of the reservoirs. So in order to keep the rice crops alive this year, they've been supplementing the water supply by pumping water out of the deep Tuscan aquifer and putting it in the canal to distribute throughout their system. In the environmental assessment that the United States Bureau of Reclamation authored, they recommended that some of the participants in this can take advantage of this extra demand on the aquifer by establishing new historic lows in the aquifer for future baseline quantification, for future water transfers. So this year they will be establishing new baselines based on the historic lows that they hit this year. Uh, in order to facilitate transfers that include groundwater. It's, it seems to me the way they're using Sigma to do that, they're kind of twisting the intent of the law, in my view, is at some point, maybe five years from now, they're going to go, you know, it's too bad that the aquifer went down 10 feet these last five years, but our plans are going to be there to make sure it doesn't go down another 10 feet. I don't know, I actually could put like a skeptical view on Jim, and I think it's 2040 when the law kicks in. We could just keep pumping the freaking aquifer until the well, state's going to come in and tell us how we need to do it. And then we're going to pretend that all of a sudden we're going to be able to, to manage it at whatever level it's at, and maybe that's 100 feet lower than it is right now, and our trees are all dead and our, and our fields are all dried up. I share with you the concerns. And my concerns are, are, are based on two things. One, the Delta plan claimed that they were going to have co-equal goals of providing a reliable water supply south of the Delta, as well as protecting and enhancing the ecosystem in the Delta. Well, they have continued to supply water south of the Delta. Meanwhile, the Delta ecosystem has absolutely crashed during the past five years. The past two years, they've been able to find zero delta smelt. There's a couple species of delta smelt down there that are uh, one, of the, one of the foundations of the food chain 
They've disappeared because of mismanagement of the Delta. So they obviously don't have co-equal goals. They obviously prioritize the water demand. Secondly, when they built the Oroville Reservoir, they built it to provide a reliable water source for the state of California and the state water project. Well, you look at the water levels in the Oroville Reservoir this year and you can see that it hasn't provided a reliable source of water. Just one really dry year has drained that down almost to dead pool. For the first time ever, they've had to turn off the, uh, the, the hydroelectric turbines that provide electricity to the state of California. Now we have these naked banks all along the edges of the Feather River. The Feather River is being revealed again as the reservoir drains. And you see these mud flats and the bottom of the river where the sediment has settled out since the reservoir has, has been in operation since the 60s and 70s. So these, these promises of a reliable water source and promises of a rational management of our water resources have not panned out on the surface water deliveries. The canals, the delta, the reservoirs. And I'm very concerned that we're going to see the same thing in our groundwater. The groundwater is what provides us the buffer that we need for our, our vegetation, our, our urban forest, our streams to flow. It's the groundwater that provides the base flow for all these amenities that are required for the quality of life we have up here. If we convert our groundwater into a reservoir to meet the demands south of the delta, we're going to see similar impacts to as we've seen in the dewatered Oroville Reservoir and, and the, the ecosystem that has been destroyed practically in the Delta. We don't want to see that in the Sacramento Valley. And, and this is one of the things that Aqua Alliance, where I am a water policy analyst, has been focused on for the years, trying to slow down the water demand and the expectation that the Sacramento Valley will keep the rest of the state afloat during these dry periods. We need to reduce demand in the state south of the Delta. We need to prevent our aquifers from being integrated into the state water supply because it will dewater the aquifers. If you dewater the aquifer for a year, it'll wipe out the trees. If you dewater for two years, it'll, it'll, it'll really do that. It'll, it'll be the end of the valley oak groves and the uh, urban forest that we, that we need to have to endure these hot summers. This is what happened in Southern California. I mean, what you're describing physically happened when we didn't manage groundwater down in Kern County and, and further south. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. The streams down there no longer flow to the rivers. Mm -hmm. The valley oak groves that used to be down there have been extirpated. Back to the project management actions. California State University, whose primary goal is education, of course, has a project uh, where they would help educate the public on the importance of, of water, of groundwater, of how important it is to our urban forest and stream flow, and how important it is for people to take personal responsibility to use water wisely and conservatively. 
And so they've got a project, the Community Water Education Initiative. Uh, it's currently ongoing. It could expand. So this is another one of the projects, why they're saying it's, it's only uh, potential when it's actually already happening. Uh, it will require extra resources. Uh, so funding could come from grants, etc. This one seems to be extremely important because this is such a vital issue yet complicated issue that the more the public understands the underlying issue itself and the dire need to manage our groundwater, the better. So any, any ability for us to help enlighten and educate people should be a little higher on the list in my view. You could be right on that, Bill, but personal responsibility is only a small portion of the water demand. Personal responsibility in the urban environment uh, it would only, only deals with uh, a relatively small portion of the water demand in California and indeed in the Vina Subbasin. About 80% of the water that's pumped out of the ground goes to agricultural interests. And don't get me wrong. I am pro-agriculture. I want to see agriculture in the Vina Subbasin thrive through increased efficiency. Uh, but increased efficiency can't be coupled with increased footprint of agriculture. This is the mistake that they made uh, in the San Joaquin Valley. They provided them with extra surface water down there with the Central Valley Project and the State Water Project because they were having such problems with the ground collapsing from overuse of the groundwater. So they supplied at taxpayer expense extra water. And the agriculture investors down there, instead of being satisfied with the acreage they had, expanded uh, into land that never should have been cultivated. And in a year like this, when the surface water isn't available for them, they turn back to groundwater, so the demand in the groundwater has also increased rather than diminished. So uh, you need to act, you need to couple it with land use uh, land use planning that prevents the expansion of irrigated agriculture. We already have a sufficient footprint of agriculture in Butte County to meet the economic and the food demands here. In, in California. So increased efficiency would save water as long as we don't expand the footprint. The, the university uh, sometimes is, uh, is wary of engaging in controversial projects. And right now, to discuss the potential of uh, privatization of the aquifer is something that the university is wary of engaging in. Uh, they, they don't want to step in the middle of, of these legally fraught uh, discussions. And, and I think that uh, community education on water requires that people examine the, the political and economic impacts uh, that are connected with the rest of the state and not think that we can just get by by increasing urban efficiency. I think it was just after the campfire, I was sitting right next to you and it was the Visual Anthropology Department at Chico State had put together a wonderful set of films and they had a panel and I believe you were on the panel that really kind of looked looked at the issues in the south and then had towards the end you know there's people like Don Hankins and Allie Metters Knight were in in that video to me when I see education Jimmy I'm like 
because you and I were even saying, sitting there, like, it'd be nice if we could get a whole bunch more people to see this. Maybe get some farmers to see this. Maybe get, you know, see people that are more stakeholders that just don't understand the issues, like, like maybe you and I do, like electeds. I think the more people that could have sat through that thing that we put together, we, I didn't put that there, that we, I, I literally attended and you participated in, I, I just think something like that on a much larger scale would be really helpful. I agree as long as the, as long as the university is brave enough to do so. Because Allie Mender's night is not being funded by the university no. to express her views. I'm certainly not. And, and Don Hankins, though he is a professor of fire ecology, it's taken him quite a while to uh, break through the barriers of fire suppression to get people to recognize that fire on the watershed is a necessary component. I've been warned by some of my uh, agriculture uh, farmer colleagues that I have to be careful about promoting agriculture conservation too vociferously because they think that uh, people who they see as environmentalists will force them into doing certain things that they may be willing to do but they don't want to be forced into doing it they don't want to uh, they, they don't want to have things jammed down their throats so they want the farmers to come up with these agricultural efficiency measures rather than the environmental community to come up with them and I respect that, but I can't help but be encouraged that there are these programs that are being, that are, are, are being suggested to increase efficiency and decrease demand on the aquifer. The university has a, a, a few other projects that have to do with watershed management. One of them is the removal of invasive species. I know that a few years ago we, uh, we supported the removal of these Arundo, the giant reed that was growing on the Lindo Channel and on Big Chico Creek. Uh, Arundo is a very flammable uh, plant that grows in thick thickets and uh, it sucks water and, and evapotranspirates um, unreasonable amounts of water. So getting rid of the Arundo is one of the invasive uh, invasive plants that are, it's a really good idea to eliminate them from the landscape. They don't belong here. And there's currently some good uh, prescribed fire programs going on in Upper Park and in the university, uh, the university uh, ecological reserves uh, in Butte Creek and up on Big Chico Creek to convert grasslands that have been dominated by Mediterranean oats and by star thistle. Both of these consume uh, unreasonable amounts of water and they suppress the growth of native plants. So these are watershed management actions that the university has suggested. Rangeland management is another one that Chico State University and other people are involved with that have to do with appropriate levels of grazing on lands. Uh, we've seen it up in uh, what's known as Bidwell Ranch. We've seen it in the Vernal Pool Reserve that is located just east of the airport where they put cattle on there and they judiciously graze the gravel on these landscapes to reduce the fire danger and to uh, enhance the ability of the ecosystem to thrive. Uh, they take the place of, of native grazers that used to be there and fuels management for the watershed is another one that's closely related to the invasive plant removal 
and the rangeland management uh, where they uh, manage the fuels by primarily by bringing fire back into the landscape by bringing both cultural and prescribed burns and uh, Professor Hankins who is a cultural burner uh, and a professor at the university who has studied uh, uh, all the way from the Delta and all the way to Australia to find cultural practices of using fire to manage uh, fuels on the landscape. So the university has a, a series of watershed management and this is the area, these upland areas are actually where the deep Tuscan is replenished. Uh, applying water to the surface as some of these projects that we discussed earlier may replenish the shallow aquifer, but isotope studies have shown that the deep aquifer that supports the overlying aquifer is replenished primarily by Tuscan outcroppings in the foothills and the, the watershed above Chico. So managing this watershed is, is very important for recharge of the deep aquifer. So these are, these are very holistic viewpoints that the university is putting forward of managing the recharge areas of the aquifer that don't carry with it the, the legal consequences of artificial recharge that end up privatizing the aquifer. This is the last one on the list, and they're considering a direct recharge project. Uh, what disturbs me about this is it was not clearly it was, it was not clearly defined on what they're going to do. They said they plan to use water coming out of Rock Creek and out of Big Chico Creek and diverting water out of Big Chico Creek into the Lindo Channel and into the Sycamore Channel, which is already done. You, you and I have done several field trips out yeah, there to, to see the flood, control, the flood control infrastructure that is uh, on the eastern side of uh, the Chico urban area where during high water uh, they only allow uh, about 1,500 acre-feet of water at the most to flow through Big Chico Creek and through the town and divert about uh, 5,000 acre-feet down the Lindo Channel and if the water gets higher then they can divert uh, 11 to I think 14,000 acre-feet into the Sycamore Channel and this project is talking about taking some of this water and spreading it somewhere, some undefined area, in an attempt to directly recharge the aquifer. You're talking cubic feet per second, correct? And you're talking about 1,500 and 1,400. Correct. I, I get those mixed <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, it'd be easy to do. So we're talking about the flow versus... We're talking about the volume of the flow, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so this already happens. Uh, the Chico flood control takes most of the cubic feet per second during high flow events and diverts it around the north side of Chico. And this, this naturally replenishes the groundwater. And uh, the same thing is happening up on Rock Creek. Although Rock Creek, uh, the, that is uh, managed by the Rock Creek Reclamation District, they've had uh, a project in mind for years called the Sand Creek Project. Uh, but I would, have to, I would have to see exactly what it is they're thinking and make sure that it doesn't damage the critical vernal pool habitat that's located along the base of the of the uh, Chico monocline and also to see if it's got any legal problems having to do with the privatization of the aquifer. Both of these have those legal consequences associated with artificial recharge that have to be very clearly defined 
examined and, and carefully implemented so that the aquifer doesn't fall into the hands of investor-owned agriculture uh, that the Tuscan Water District is dominated by. The, the primary one being uh, the uh, Deseret Farms owned by the Church of the Latter-day Saints in Utah, who are the largest landowner in the United States, as far as I know. I just got a letter from my brother that talked about what's happening where he lives in Wyoming, where Deseret Farms in Wyoming is taking 100% of the flow of one of, their, one of their rivers up there and diverting it to their agricultural pursuits in Wyoming. So the Deseret Farms has a very large footprint, not only in Butte County and in the North State, but throughout the United States. Uh, they are a threat to the public trust. Thank you, Jim Brobeck, for your detailed insights on the first set of proposed projects to bring Navina subbasin groundwater into compliance. We end our show with Dry, 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 a Jim Brobeck original recorded on the south bank of Big Chico Creek by Imagining Community. Please share this podcast with your friends and check out our social media on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Stop praying for their lives, but the ram keep coming, coming, coming. 
Could be 40 days and 40 nights of steady old rain. I read about it many times in books. When dam's top off, it starts spilling acre feet. It rubs out the soil, it tears apart the concrete. Redding and Red Bluff better run, run, run. Los Molinos Corning Nord, you better run, run, run. Hamilton City, Orlean Orville better run. Even Annie Bidwell Mansion might get wet on this one. When six years with the rain falls in 60 days, it's gonna fill up the river, turn the valley into a lake. It'll be shining in the sun, shining in the summer sun.